Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Good evening, children of the night. I'd like to share a video with you. 
It comes from the people at Vox who visited Audible's recording studios and did an interview with Susie Jackson to give a sort of tour as to how audiobooks are made. It may be worth a watch if you are curious about how Tales to Terrify's own wonderful volunteer narrators do their work. In conversations with some of our own about their process, Susie Jackson's methods are pretty standard. One thing that I noticed that I had struggled with in my first few narrations years ago is that the very standard method of written dialogue being followed by notes of how that dialogue was actually spoken. In the video, the example given is whispered. In my early narration attempts, I would read the dialogue with a neutral tone just to immediately found that it was hissed or whispered or shouted or demanded with force. Her iPad with colored annotations is a rather good way of marking a reading to go through smoothly. Drew Sabastini has been doing the show's mixing for the last handful of episodes, and he gets to hear all of the times that I cannot bring myself to pronounce one of those Cthulhu words that has far too many consonants in it so to be barely pronounceable by a human mouth, or swearing at cats that don't care about me at all until I'm trying to record myself or a run-of-the-mill standard everyday phrase that becomes some sort of defect in my synapses that I can't seem to get the words to come out right until the eighth time reading that sentence. I'm perpetually interested in the audio narration process, and I was happy to see this video recorded in Audible's beautiful studio. A few other items that are more horror than how the sausage is made, which is an actual horror. Steven Soderbergh has a movie just about to come out called Unsane. I've linked to the show notes an article at Vice that has some commentary on it, but more importantly, the trailer. The production gimmick is that the entirety of the film was recorded on an iPhone. I think that is additional evidence that increased quality consumer devices further democratizes our ability to create and share. Unsane appears to take place primarily in a mental hospital, which is one of my personal favorite settings for fiction, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to Twelve Monkeys, the film and TV show, uh, to Girl Interrupted. What a strange place to put away those of us who have minds that just don't fit. Another link from Vice is to a bit of a write-up about Hereditary, a film from freshman filmmaker Ari Aster. The production team includes members from those who made The Witch. The article describes that Sundance was, quote, traumatized, unquote, by this film. The trailer suggests that statement may very well be true. Keep an eye out for this one. And finally, I have discovered a YouTube channel, Local 58, which is a news channel of nightmares. I've linked to the video, You Are on the Fastest Available Route, which I really liked as a bit of experimental film that didn't give the audience much at all to work with, but still managed to come off as unnerving and strange. I also liked it because following an interstate accident a few years ago, I purchased a dash cam after the fact, having discovered that its footage would have helped me out immensely, legally, later. While I've had that little camera stuck to the inside of my windshield for a couple of years, I had thought, I wonder what I could do with that. Local 58's video is an answer to my own question. I think it'll be worth three and a half minutes of your time. Our first story for the night comes to us from Michelle Ann King. Michelle Ann King was born in East London and now lives in Essex. Her stories have appeared in over 70 different venues, including Interzone, Strange Horizons, and Black Static. 
Her favorite author is Stephen King, sadly no relation, and she also loves zombies, Las Vegas, a good scotch whiskey. Her first story collection, Transient Tales, is available in ebook and paperback from Amazon and other online retailers. Listen with me to Michelle Ann King's Not With a Bang, originally appearing in Daily Science Fiction, January 2011. You're welcome, caller, Elizabeth says and disconnects the line. She leans back in her chair, her hands kneading the aching muscles in her neck. One of the temps comes round with a tray, and she grabs a coffee from him with a grateful smile. The red light on her console flashes again. She hesitates, then presses the button to log herself out. She's been on for the last five hours straight. She can afford a five-minute coffee break. She picks up her mug and takes a sip. The coffee tastes slightly burnt and a little tangy, as if the milk is just turning. But her throat is dry, so she drinks it anyway. Lately, a lot of things taste like they're on the point of going bad. She's not sure if the fault is in the quality of the food or her taste buds. She looks down at her mug. It isn't clean. There's a faint trace of lipstick on the rim. She puts it down on the desk beside her keyboard. Elizabeth hasn't worn lipstick for a long time. She logs back in and the console lights up immediately. She clears her throat. Thank you for calling the Central Health Advice Line. My name is Elizabeth. Can you please tell me your primary symptoms? There's a pause. Then a man's voice says, Well, um, I've got a rash and a cold. And my eyes are sore. Thank you, she says and clicks on the link that brings up the diagnostic screen on her monitor. She hardly needs it anymore, but the habit is ingrained. What does the rash look like? Spots or big raised patches? She waits, her hands poised on the mouse for his answer. Her earpiece buzzes faintly. She imagines the young man laying the phone down and pulling up his shirt to check. She looks around at the other operators, all doing the same. Well, not all. There are a few more empty desks today. Answer the calls. Read the script. Enter the data. And when certain words or phrases come up, type out the alarm codes. Then smile. The callers can hear it in your voice. And explain that help is on the way. Then, the vans are dispatched and the machinery takes over. The important people do the important things. And on the consoles, the incoming call lights carry on flashing. Spots, her caller finally decides. They're a sort of reddish-brown color. I thought I just had the sniffles. You know what it's like, everybody's been coming down with something or other. But then I started to feel a bit feverish and I noticed these spots. On my neck, then my legs. Now they're all over me and inside my mouth like little white ulcers. Elizabeth runs through the rest of the standard questions, before the word she's been waiting to see from the start of the call finally flashes up on her screen. You have measles, she says. No alarm codes for this one. No medical teams in hazmat suits. No frowning technicians downloading data and calculating graphs. No executives calling hurried meetings with government officials. Not that they do any of that anymore, even when there are alarm codes. Elizabeth never found out what it was they were so scared of in those early days. The symptoms they were looking out for never seemed to have a common cause. The media started with a resurgence of smallpox as the favorite, 
Ebola and Crutzfeld-Jacob disease also had their lurid days in the sun. Even bubonic plague got a look in. Measles? The man repeats. Like what kids get? He gives a short laugh. Oh, okay. Measles, right. So what should I do? Just rest, she says, and take an over-the-counter painkiller if you need to. That's it? That's all there is to it. She turns up the volume on her earpiece. Her hearing isn't what it used to be. Yes, she says, that's all. There actually weren't many of those flashing lights and sirens cases, even in the beginning. The calls were almost all mundane, everyday things. Coughs and colds and chest infections. Nothing serious. The lab techs stopped working through the night. The men in both the suits and the white coats started to look less worried. There was a general lightening of the atmosphere, a sense of crisis averted. But the calls kept coming in. There's no specific treatment plan, she says, because... She stops. Thinks, because you'll be dead within three months. Then continues, your immune system will fight it off within seven to fourteen days. Okay, he says, sounding relieved. Should I stay off work? We're really short-staffed, obviously, but... Elizabeth pressed her hand to her temple. Yes, just be with your family while you still can. We recommend that you stay home until the symptoms have disappeared. In a couple of weeks, he'll call back. Because even if the measles symptoms have disappeared, he'll have new ones. The operator who takes his call will issue him a prescription over the phone, following the second wave protocols. The drugs will knock back the mumps, or gastroenteritis, or whatever he ends up with, and he'll feel like he's getting back on his feet. For a while. Okay, I'll do that then, the voice in her ear says. I've been thinking, you know, with everything you hear, but... Well, anyway. Another little laugh. Measles. She can picture him clearly. This man, smiling and shaking his head. Thank you, um, Elizabeth. Thank you ever so much. I feel better already. If he calls back a third time, the script will say he needs to attend a special clinic for further treatment. The operator will look up his address and send him to the facility closest to his house. It's fine. We know what's causing this. The virus has been identified and we have an antiserum waiting. Let me tell you where you need to go. Have you got a pen, or would you like me to upload directions for you? There's no antiserum, of course. No treatment. The facilities aren't clinics. You're welcome, caller, Elizabeth says and disconnects the line. This is how the world ends. Not with a bang, but a sniffle. She can't quite clamp down fast enough over the bubble of laughter that catches in her throat. It earns her a sharp look from the one remaining manager on the floor, but there's no comment made. The operators get a lot of leeway these days. The medics and the lab staff were considered the key workers at first, but it's Elizabeth and her team who get the respect these days. It takes a certain kind of skill to lie with a smile on your face, to make the callers believe, just for a little while longer, that it's going to be okay. She pushes her now cold coffee aside and unwraps the vending machine sandwich she'd picked up earlier. It tastes just as bad, so she puts it back in its plastic sleeve. She hasn't been hungry for a while now anyway. Symptoms? Well, I haven't eaten for three days. Is loss of appetite a symptom? Yes, yes it is. You're going to need some further treatment, caller. 
Elizabeth reclips her earpiece and presses the incoming call button on her board. Thank you for calling the Central Health Advice Line. My name is Elizabeth. Can you please tell me your primary symptoms? Her fingers drift over the keyboard and bring up the location of the nearest clinic to her house. That was Michelle Ann King's Not With a Bang, as read by Alex Ford. When Alex Ford isn't rocking around the nation in her band, Ford Theater Reunion, she's holed up in her guest room following a different passion, recording audiobooks and editing manuscripts. An avid reader and writer, she delights in helping people bring their creativity to life. You can check out her exploits, mystery bruises, and a most handsome cat on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you, Alex. Our second story for the night comes from Jeremy M. Gottwig. Jeremy M. Gottwig is a writer and programmer living in Baltimore, Maryland. His work has appeared in such publications as Nature, The Intergalactic Medicine Show, and Sub-Q Magazine. Jeremy is a member of the Baltimore Science Fiction Society Critique Circle and is currently working towards an MFA at the University of Baltimore. Find him online at strangeshuttle.com or on Twitter at jgotwig. Links will be in the show notes. Lend me your ears for Jeremy M. Gottwig's A Sudden Breeze Through an Open Door, originally appearing in a Cat's Eye anthology, October 17th, 2016. I would describe the cat for you, but she is hidden within the dumpster's shadow. She wants us to think she is gone. The rat feels her hunting him. He can see her tail twitching. Are you the rat? I know you are here in this story with me, but I don't know where you are. You aren't the cat. I know that much. This leaves the rat. If I'm correct, you are cowering behind the battered trash can beneath the yellow street lamp. You want the cat to get bored and move on. You are hungry but terrified. You want to find something delectable, or at least passable. Let's be honest, even a dirty diaper would do. Your stomach feels like a pit. It hurts. But you know the cat will catch you if you reveal yourself. She will try and snap your neck. Oh, you aren't the rat? Yes, I knew that, and I admit I was toying with you. I hope I didn't dredge up any old memories. Nobody likes to remember feeling small. But all this talk of food has made you hungry, hasn't it? I apologize. Feel free to get a snack. The story will wait for you. Back so soon? While you were gone, the rat escaped. It was riveting. I would describe it for you, but there are only so many ways for a rat to escape a cat. I'm sure you can imagine something. The cat is disappointed, of course. She waits by the drain near the entrance to the alley. She wants the rat to return. She wants to play. What did you get to eat? The cat smells tuna. The cat loves tuna. If you're eating a tuna fish sandwich, you're about to make a new friend. Do you hear footsteps? Someone is coming. Oh. Is that you? 
I'm so glad we finally get to meet. The cat hides behind a shrub and watches you approach. Pretend that you don't know about her. Pretend that you no longer know about me, or the rat, or anything but your tuna fish sandwich. Your gender? Your clothing? Your shoe size? I could describe these for you, but I'd rather not. You need only imagine yourself in whatever you're wearing now. The only thing I'll tell you about yourself is that you are eating a tuna fish sandwich. Now, let's start over. It's half past midnight. Nobody is around. But you can't shake the feeling that you aren't alone. Caution slows your footsteps. Your skin tingles. Your eyes dig into every shadow, every movement. A tuna fish sandwich never tasted so alive. But your nerves keep you from enjoying it. A rat climbs from the drain and scuttles into a nearby alley. You gasp, and then you feel relief. But Jesus, you hate rats. And there she is, the cat, standing on a stone fence. She wants to chase the rat, but she also wants a bite of your sandwich. Did I mention that she loves tuna? The cat is a chartreux. Given that you're reading this book, I'll assume you're an expert on cats. You aren't the sort who needs a description. If I am wrong, I give you permission to research this breed of feline. She's going to want you to leave your sandwich on the sidewalk, but I recommend you take it with you. Perhaps just a crumb? Yes, that's enough. This story will wait for you. Now go. Are we on the same page? Good. The cat wants another crumb. May she? All right, one more. You expect her to mew at you. Well, you should know by now that Chartreux are a quiet sort of cat. By her clean fur and bright green collar, you can tell that she is well-tended and much beloved. These details should strike you as important. You should be asking yourself, what is a cat like this doing out in the middle of the night? Do her owners really want her digging through dumpsters? Perhaps you should check her tags. You decide to follow my advice. The cat figure eights around your legs. It's almost as if she recognizes you. It was smart of you to drop another morsel to keep her occupied, but try not to spoil her. Now isn't this interesting? She lives just a few doors down from you, with... What's her name? Keeps to herself? You forget. You didn't even know she had a cat. Oh, and the cat's name? Lorelei. I don't know about you, but I have always loved that name. From somewhere far away, you hear a siren. This should remind you that you are alone at night. But you aren't alone. Lorelei is here. And so am I. Still nervous? Let's get you home. Move along. Tut-tut. Oh, are you planning on leaving Lorelei? Or do you want to take her home? If you're going to leave her, then I suppose this is the end of your story. You might as well flip through to the next. You're still here? Then you've decided to do the right thing, but be careful. The cat may bite. Lorelei is like that. What about your sandwich? I almost forgot about that little detail. Small irony, because without that sandwich, you may never have met our lovely Lorelei. Finish or toss it. Carrying Lorelei will be easier with two hands. The story will wait. 
but hurry. Now pick her up and start walking. Doesn't her fur make you think of dark clouds? Don't worry if you hear footsteps behind you. That's just me. You need to decide between taking Lorelai to your home or her own. Surely you don't want to wake your owner given the advanced hour, but doesn't it feel just a little strange to keep her in your own house overnight? You might feel like a thief, or perhaps Lorelai's owners might peg you as one if they come looking for her. Have you seen our cat? They might ask. Then they would see her hiding beneath your couch. Would they be outraged? Would they call the police? You would be innocent, of course, and I suppose you could explain yourself out of this situation. But what if there was something more sinister at work? What if you had come to love this feline and could no longer bear to let her go? What if she begins to dominate you? What if you find yourself never leaving your house because she might need something like tuna? Lots of tuna. What if she always wants more, 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 and if you don't give it to her, she will dig her thoughts into your head at night and invade your dreams? Perhaps Lorelai is that sort of cat. She is a story's lure, after all, and she has caught you. Do you know the meaning of the name Lorelai? I think you should look it up. This story will wait for you, but take Lorelai with you. Imagine her in your mind. I'm not giving you a choice. Now go! And so, now you know. You were wondering if you made a mistake getting wrapped up with our lovely Lorelai. Yes, carry her to her home. The sooner she's off your hands, the better. You walk to your neighbor's door, and you raise your hand to knock. But you then realize the door is ajar. This explains how Lorelai came to be outside. But why is the door open in the middle of the night? Being unlocked is one thing. But ajar? You yelp in pain as Lorelai bites your thumb. She leaves from your arms and runs inside. I warned you this might happen, but I suppose you forgot. Anyway, you're free of her, so shut the door and go home, quick, before something else happens. But wait a moment. I heard something, didn't you? A grunt and a moan from deep inside the house. These are not the sounds of love, but of pain. And there is now another character in your story. Perhaps you should pretend you heard nothing and go home. But wouldn't it be wrong to go home without inspecting the situation? You could call the police and be done with it. But I don't think I'm going to let you. After all, your phone is unavailable. Perhaps it's broken or lost. Perhaps you are using it to read this story. Another moan. And this time you swear you hear a gasp for help. And then you hear sobbing. I hope this doesn't dredge up any old memories. The voice is clear and ageless, but it ceases before you can get a bearing. You step inside the house. You call out, but get no response. And now you must continue. You don't want to seal your exit, so you leave the front door open. I suppose you may come to regret this decision. Try and keep calm as you search the house. You may feel like an intruder or a creep. You may feel just as worried someone will catch you as you are of what you might find. But keep searching. Don't stop. Look through the kitchen and the pantry. Look through the dining room and the bathroom. Is there a basement? If so, you should check there too. 
The lights are on in every room. It's as if they are trying to tell you that they have no secrets. And where is Lorelai? You had almost forgotten about her. You detect a set of glowing gold eyes and spot her on one of the chairs beneath the dining room table. A table not unlike your own. Lorelai is watching you. And at this moment in the story, she has nothing more to do. But I suspect she'll have some future part to play. You call out once more and get a whisper in reply. But it sounds like nothing more than a slow breeze through the open door. Perhaps we should resume our search. Does this house feel familiar to you? I've offered little in the way of description, so I suspect you are filling the gaps with images of your own. Perhaps you are imagining somewhere you lived long ago? When I imagine this house, I remember a place from my childhood. The house with the red door, I used to call it. And now you are imagining the front door is red. I apologize. I didn't mean to taint your vision with visions of my own. I invite you to reclaim this image. Imagine this place as your childhood home. Imagine the ghosts of your family moving from room to room. Imagine the smells you used to smell, the sounds you used to hear. What color was the front door? Imagine that too. And now imagine that you are small and alone inside this house. Someone else is with you, but you still feel alone. You feel like the rat hiding from our Lorelei. Or don't. It's up to you. This sense of familiarity should grow stronger when you open the first bedroom door. It is full of the sorts of things you loved as a child. On the floor next to the bed rests that book you used to read over and over. There are photos on the wall. You want to inspect them, but the sound of scratching draws you from this room. You peer out and find Lorelai lying on her side, flipping her claws against another door, a closed door. A whisper of air passes through the gap at the base of the door. We've belabored this long enough, don't you think? One can tease the plot along for only so long. Lorelai wants to lure you deeper into this story. And now, she's pointing the way. You should follow. And at this point in the story, it would be criminal to turn away. And then you hear a weak voice through the door. But you can't make out the words. It sounds like the voice of an old woman. Talk to her. Tell her why you are here. And ask her if she needs help. Go on. Oh, yes. She whimpers. Several seconds pass. I called for you to come help me, but I didn't think you were going to come. You open the door and step into a hospital room, and now you are somewhere else. An old lady lies in the bed. She wears breathing tubes and has wires taped to her arms. A door opposite you is open, and you can see nurses and doctors passing back and forth. The TV is playing an old episode of Cheers. You hear canned laughter. The old lady looks at you. Her eyes are milky white with only a hint of color. She has no hair. I can't tell you how to feel here in this moment. Whether you feel surprised, afraid, or simply cold is up to you. Such is the risk of these sorts of narratives, but I can tell you that something about this old lady feels familiar. 
Perhaps you met her on the street once. Or perhaps she is someone you haven't seen for many years. Perhaps she was someone from your childhood. I wanted to see you again, she says. I left the door open for you, but I didn't think you would come. Can you think of anything to say right now that wouldn't come across as stupid or cruel? I can't. Well, here I am, you could say, with or without ta-da hands. Or perhaps, who are you? Not even pretending, I'm sorry, but could soften such an insult after she spent so much time thinking about you, obsessing about you, calling to you from her deathbed. Do you think she sent Lorelai to lure you to her hospital room? It's possible, I think. You suppose this old lady is a witch? A nurse enters. With little more than a glance at you, he checks her vitals, writes something down, and moves on to the next room. They don't care about me, the old lady grumbles as she coughs a deep, watery cough. She forces, he didn't even acknowledge my guest. And then her eyes are back on you. She smiles, and her lip twitches. Doesn't that twitch seem familiar? It does to me. Don't pretend that you know who I am. Her lip curls as she says this just a little. She waves you closer, and now you must decide if you will allow her to draw you deeper into your story. Behind, you can still see the house through the open door. If you let go, will the door close? Do you feel the breeze? Lorelai slips between your feet and jumps into the old lady's bed. It happens fast. You release the door and chase the cat, but when the old lady's face brightens, you catch yourself. She winces, and then her face goes slack. It is as if she is trying to ward off pain. She places a hand on the cat's back and whispers, Look at you, you beautiful thing. Then her eyes are back on you. She strokes Lorelai with her long fingernails. Come closer, she commands, and you can no longer think of a reason to hold back. But perhaps you should. Perhaps you should run and shut this vision behind the veil of memory. Perhaps there is something wicked about this old lady. But don't my thoughts taint your perceptions. Move closer. Move closer. Hesitation implies fear, and in this moment, you need to show strength. I knew your mother. When you were little, we were friends. She takes a deep, hoarse breath and adds, I called you here to make amends. Her eyes become little pools of piss-colored tears, but the pools never turn into rivers. She blinks and wipes them away. After a sigh, she adds, Your mother trusted me. She asked me to watch you. And then she shudders. I liked it when you cried. I used to pinch you. You would get welts. And now you understand. She wants you to forgive her, doesn't she? That's why she sent Lorelai to find you. That's why she left the door ajar. The old lady coughs once, <clears throat> twice, and she wipes her mouth with the back of her hand and returns it to Lorelai's spine. Her mucus drips into Lorelai's lovely fur. I think your mother suspected. One day she quit talking to me and I never saw you again. 
For a moment she strokes Lorelei, and then, in a motion we nearly miss, she pinches the cat behind her left ear. It is a light pinch, a playful pinch, and Lorelei closes her eyes and purrs. And now, what do you think of this old lady? Do you pity her in her state of decay? Do you want to forgive her? Are you upset at her for telling you something you wish you didn't know? Something you didn't need to know? Something your mother wanted to keep a secret? Did she dredge up old memories? Do you remember feeling small? Do you remember trying to hide from her as she moved throughout the house? Do you remember how the floor creaked? Don't you feel just a little like that rat? But perhaps you should wonder if she had other victims. If she slithered her way into other lives. If she found others to hurt. She did. You were luckier than some, less lucky than others. Like me. She drew me back into this world by her calls for forgiveness. But I am the victim that can never forgive. I am already dead. I am the character without an arc. I am as I was when I died. Perhaps she hopes to calm my hatred before she passes into the darkness. Perhaps she knows that I am waiting for her. Perhaps she knows that she turned me into a demon. You might suspect that she killed me, but she didn't. I escaped, like you, but it took many years. Even as an adult, I kept coming back. A bullet killed me, but my last thoughts were of her. But she called us here, and here we are, ready to make amends. Do you feel manipulated by me, by her, by someone else? Perhaps you find this narrative unfair. But I did what I needed to do to help Lorelai catch you. I needed her to lure you to this place. I needed her to help you remember. And now we are going to murder this beast. I am tired of waiting. We will make it quick. You won't have to lift a finger. I want her to know that I wait for her beyond the grave. I want her to understand that a few apologies will not bring her peace. I want her to believe that she will spend her afterlife feeling like a rat, cowering in the shadows. Don't you find it amusing that she waited until her deathbed to make amends? I know you want to refuse, but doesn't something deep down want to see her die? You could run. You could lock yourself in your own house and pretend that this experience never happened. But would you be hiding from me? or your own primal desires. But I don't think I'm going to let you go. Perhaps you are the rat after all. Perhaps I have become the cat. You feel that breeze passing between worlds? Did you hear the door slam shut? Open it. Go on. We'll find nothing but a bathroom on the other side. And now you are trapped here. The old witch is still watching you. She thinks you are afraid of her. This should disgust you. Think of what she's done. I'm not going to ask you to smother her or pull the plug. 
I only ask that you give her my message. I want you to tell her that a demon haunts this room. A demon that she created. I want you to tell her that I intend to torment her as she tormented me. Tell her that I will be relentless. Tell her that this is what waits for her beyond the grave. Tell her that after she dies, she will find me waiting for her by her bed. Like family. Go on. Tell her. And then I will let you go. And now she knows. Do you see panic flooding her face? Do you hear her voiceless scream? Do you see the creases of pain in her eyes? Do you see the sweat on her brow and hands? Her body is too weak to survive another heart attack. Oh, look at Lorelai. Go on, look. She has been busy chewing on the various tubes and lines feeding the old witch's body. Good Lorelai. Lovely Lorelai. I will miss you, Lorelai. She used to be my cat. I gave her to the old witch before I died, but I could never let her go. Did I forget to mention that? You should flee before they catch you alone with a dead body. The alarms will go off soon. You'll have to find your own way home. Take Lorelai and go. She now belongs to you. Care for her as I cared for her. She loves Tuna. But remember, she bites. That was Jeremy M. Gottwig's A Sudden Breeze Through an Open Door, as read by Jake Wachholz. Jake Wachholz has finally found his career path in education and completed his first year of teaching this past year, where he taught special education math. His hobby is hobbies, and now that includes reading horror stories for tales to terrify. He lives in Ohio with his wife, daughter, and dogter. Thank you, Jake. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Leitze and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 